Hi, everyone. I'm Aviva Rumani, and this is Kindred Cast, unfiltered conversations with the business and cultural leaders who shape the world we live in. Kindred Cast is a production of Kindred Media, powered by Lion Tree, the global investment and merchant bank. Kindred Media is a diversified media advisory and investment company that works alongside content creators in the audio and digital communities. For more insightful content, including our podcasts, newsletters, and events, and to get in touch with us, search for Kindred Media wherever you're listening. On today's show, we're off to Paris as Lion Tree CEO Arya Borkov sits down with Nicholas Julia, the co-founder and CEO of So Rare. If you love sports and the world of NFTs, you're going to love this podcast. Founded in 2018 and boasting over $250 million in sales in this year alone, So Rare delivers a global fantasy football, for those in the US, that's soccer, experience that enables users to buy, sell, and trade players via collectible NFT cards. Tune in for a primer on Web 3.0 evolution and the shift in value from platforms to individuals. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. I'm Arye Borkaf, the CEO of LionTree, and I'm excited to be here in the first district. We had some debate about how close we are to the second or third district, but in Paris, in beautiful Paris, with a friend, Nicholas Julia, the co-founder and CEO of So Rare. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Hi, Arendt. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So Rare, as some people know, and we're going to learn a lot about the So Rare and the whole ecosystem of NFTs and sports, but it's a revolutionary platform that's creating a new fantasy sports universe and experience for fans using collectible NFT trading cards where players buy, sell, manage a virtual team with digital player cards. And it's based here in Paris, but it's all over the world. The so rare cards are unique, scarce, and ownership is publicly verifiable via the Ethereum blockchain. By bringing together sports, entertainment, and digital assets in a unique way, so Rare is creating an entirely new industry and an ecosystem that unlocks new experiences and opportunities for leagues, players, and fans alike. One of the reasons we like So Rare so much is that it's an aligned economic ecosystem. So Rare also recently announced their $680 million Series B, the largest Series B ever for a European company, of which LionTree was proud to be a part of. Nicholas, welcome to Kindred Cast and part of the Lion Tree ecosystem here. Excited to do this one with you today. Thank you. So I recall when we first met a year ago, we had lunch here in yeah. Paris, um, venturing out as everyone emerged from the pandemic. We had a beautiful lunch here in this part of town. NFTs were starting to come into reality yeah. and into the daily vernacular, yeah. but it was still quite a nascent space. Maybe for some people it is still today, so we'll, yeah. we'll explain it. But obviously, with many people, it's part of the ecosystem now. Walk me through where you see the power of the NFTs in the broader metaverse. And I'll actually start with a quote because you have said before, and now that you're successful, I could quote you back from your prior words. The NFTs will be the underlying technology for everything of value on the web. Yeah. It could be monetary value or it could be personal value. And it could be something your identity has early on. And so that's something an NFT could carry on for you on the web. It's going to be invisible. 
I like to think about NFTs as a way to authenticate and secure anything digital. And starting at Web2, like the, the, the old web, we could copy everything, right? Like photo, music, videos, like there was no notion of uniqueness in the web, uh, like the old web as we know it. And with NFT, we come with a tool, with a technology where we can authenticate and secure something digital. And with that, it unlocks totally new business models, totally new industries that are going to be built on top of it. And so art and gaming are at the forefront of it, but it's going to be like anything of value that's going to be an NFT in the web of tomorrow. And this is something that we are very excited about because now the web is going to be owned by people. We're going to move from web to where it was owned by big tech to a new web that is going to be owned by people. And this is something we are fascinated about. I think that's the word you mentioned in that statement was unlock. Yeah. So this concept of the web two or life for the maybe prior generation or maybe my generation or generation beforehand, although I like to think of myself as part of the bridge generation, is locked in the sense that people built up these assets or the Web 2.0 because it was for the benefit of companies or the B2B ecosystem. And now we are unlocking for infinite value into the B2C world, not just consumers, but individualism or individual expression or individual ownership of assets. And not just ownership of assets, but the actual images themselves, whether it's art or players or music, can be actually identified and verified and be an asset themselves. And that could be tradable or identified or even become a currency in some ways. Yeah, exactly. And what I'm also excited about about this shift is the fact that in this old web, people were creating things, but big tech were like benefiting of it. Web free, people are creating things and are benefiting directly of it, right? And we are not monetizing it attention anymore. We are monetizing the creation and the power of creation of the people. And this is a shift that is, for me, fascinating again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because I think the first transition was really about consumerism and the attention economy and saying yeah. we're going to merchandise and sell things to you, yeah. to everybody, which was a bit uh, pushing product, right? Yeah. Now it's the inverse, right? It's yeah. kind of saying we're going to invert the whole ecosystem yeah. and put the power in the hands of really the individual assets. Yeah. And those assets then can invert the whole model. And then those assets can be used to create new models yeah. and then put a tidal wave back the other way yeah. into a more of an incrementalization of the model, right? Totally. No, totally agree. Yep. So take me through now December 2018 or just a few years ago. And So Rare is just a part of the dream of Nicholas. And how is it starting off the ground? Yeah, the creation, founded, the creation yeah. of the company. I've been in the crypto world for more than six years now. The beginning of 2018, we saw this new NFT standard popping up on the Ethereum blockchain back in the days. And we were like, okay, it's going to change the way people own things online. And one of the cool properties that we found with my partner, Adrian, was the digital scarcity. If you can authenticate and secure something digital, then you can say, okay, it's going to be 100 edition of Michael Jordan or Kylian Mbappé or whatever. And we were like, okay, people have been collecting stuff in the physical world for centuries. This is something we do as human beings for a very long time, for many reasons. And now we are unlocking the ability to do it on the web because we can't authenticate this stuff now. And so we were like, okay, this could be a huge thing, but it's just a technology. What do we do with it? And we are two massive sports fans and soccer fans in particular. So we were like, well, why not bringing the image of football players on top of this tech so that we have something that we can connect emotionally? And then we were like, again, this could be massive. 
massive, but we want more. We want fans to engage with these NFTs, not only to collect and to trade them, but to do something with them. And that's the front pillar of our thinking, the game design, the fact that you can use the NFT in a cool fantasy game. Yeah. So with these three pillars, the technology, the image of players, the partnerships with the clubs, and the game design or the utility, we started iterating on what is so hard today. Because I think at that point in time, people were looking at NFTs or non-fungible tokens as just a collectible. Digital art or digital players are trading cards. Totally. I think what set us apart in this broader space is that we put the utility value of these NFTs at the center yeah. of the team. And so you mentioned unlocking things. So I, I do see NFTs as a way to unlock cool experiences. So you mentioned before we started this podcast, you own some board app. I love them because they think the same way. Because you own this app, you are part of a club and you unlock stuff, right? That are the cool experiences in the digital world. But I do see uh, also there's NFTs as a way to unlock stuff in the physical world. Like last week, the top performance in our game won an NFT that was a ticket to access El Clasico, one of the coolest soccer games in the world. And with that, they unlocked this cool experience in the physical world. So you have motion to the collectible, so yep. to speak. So you have your assets. You own a share of a player in an NFT, a digital authenticated image yep. of a player. It's sort of like owning trading cards when uh, we grew up. But you own a basket of them. Actually, I have a basket of myself. I have a portfolio, and I think it's ABB portfolio in so rare. And you can see my basket of players, and they can play against other baskets of players. And then there's a gaming and a betting and a uh, fantasy sports element to it that puts motion behind the whole ecosystem. Maybe the best way to look at it is a fantasy game with an open ecosystem of NFT collectibles. Yes. Like it's really this mix between fantasy and NFT collectibles, yep. right? That you mentioned. So maybe more than, it's, it's not really a share, it's more because it's unique. Yep. Share, it's not unique. So those NFT collectibles are all unique. And so you collect those NFT collectibles and once you own more than five, then you unlock a gaming experience, which is a fantasy experience where you can progress in a cool game and earn rewards and so on. So that's... Right, yeah. so but if, let's say I own Ronaldo in 2000, 2015. No one else could own that Ronaldo? Yeah, that's correct. Well, so if I own that uh, asset, then someone else wants to buy it from me, the value goes much higher than I could trade. So the drivers of the value, there's several of them. One of them is, of course, the collectability and like, what is the serial number? What is the scarcity level? Is the serial number the same as the just the number of the player? You know, all those things that yep. collectors value, right? You also have the quality of the player on the pitch on the real world because, I mean, that's a game that's based on the real world performance of the player. So that, those are, again, like the, yeah, the main drivers, the performance of the player and the collectability of the con. And the other thing I like about Sorare is that it's not league or club driven, it's player driven. Because so a lot of the models from the US that people are familiar with are more driven off the league or the ownership of the club. This is really driven off the player and therefore it unlocks all the way through, which is why I mentioned an aligned strategy because that has a real shared value system that players will benefit from that are brought into the ecosystem. So when you bring in partners for Sorare, you're talking about when we spoke about this from the very beginning of business development, it's about you want to get to know the owners of the teams, yep. not owners of the leagues. So it's both. We are inclusive of all the partners in the ecosystem, yes. the players, the clubs and the leagues in some way because, because we partner with them as well. But for sure, and if you look at our cup table as well, we have players, we have franchise owners, we have like... Messi. You, right. Yeah, we have like many different players or stakeholders in the broader sports industry that are part of this movement. And yeah, I guess that's really important for us. And we manage to yeah incentivize everyone in the right way, uh, which I, I guess is unique here. That's right. It's an aligned strategy. Yeah. No one's left behind. Yeah, exactly. 
we'll get into the metrics behind the business bill, but I want to just hit on a point, not that it's all about finances, but the $250 million run rate that you've generated in just two years of revenue, because you started at zero, obviously, like everyone, and you get to $250 million of run rate revenue in just two years. By the way, it's not run rate, that's the sales that we are doing this year. This year, so it's more more than just run rate. So so it's incredible growth, because a lot of companies, even that I can reference in the public stock market, have $100 billion market caps with zero revenue. Um, So doing it uh, as a private company in just two years with that kind of revenue run rate is tremendous. And you've raised this large Series B round. And I've always mentioned the French-based technology ecosystem has been really boiling up with a tremendous amount of growth. And no one has really broken out all the way through to listing in the markets in the U.S., but it's starting to come very, very quickly now. And obviously, that's an understatement. So what are the keys to driving that kind of growth so fast? I mean, you mentioned, obviously, the underpinnings of the model, which are exciting, but it actually has a lot of financial game, not just on the top line, but with a lot of margin as well. So yeah, the company has been profitable almost from the first day. So that puts you, of course, in a good position when you raise money and so on. And in terms of the velocity of the growth, I think that yeah, first, the velocity is in the DNA of the company with the ambition, of course, to create the, you know, an entertainment giant for each domain of the company, striking deals with the right partners, like growing the revenue, growing the product, improving the product, having that built in and backed in your, your DNA to move fast. That has been, yeah, very important and really like, again, in, in our culture from day one. Well, you remind me a lot because Liontree at the very beginning, now about 10 years ago, I used to say we were lucky enough and fortunate enough to have relationships and deals with clients that we did the largest transaction from the smallest amount of square footage. Because yeah. our first office was very small and we were able to do a very large transaction that was, I think, around 24 billion sterling for a cherished client as they all are. That was a very strong start, but we really were grateful about it. You have now, now I think this is the second office I've seen, yeah. but only about 30 people yeah. so far at the company. So it's not just about the financial growth and raising capital and having the right partners, but as a CEO and a founder or a yeah. co-founder, how do you get on top of running a company that is growing so fast in such yeah. a nimble way. I mean, yeah. it's a challenging to do that as well, right? Yeah, of course. I think that once you grow your team and you onboard leaders and you, we, are, we are opening an office in New York at the moment, you go from zero to one to one to two. And so some of the early employees also like changing positions and your organization is starting to have layers. And so you need to be careful about who you are. What are the core principles or values that define you as a company, you as a team, as a collective? And so we mentioned one of them, which is the velocity, but there's also the ambition. There's also the fact that we are close to the community. There's the fact that we want to be inclusive in the people we hire and the consumers we hire. All these things need to be not only shared with the team, but also written down, precise, without any possibility to interpret them in a way that is not who you are. So this is an exercise we, we started. And of course, it's an ongoing exercise and it's, it's going to last forever. But this is, I think, very important to have them on paper, right? I often reference this book called Scale by Jeffrey West, yeah. that why do some companies last a long time and why some companies are short-lived, kind of like cities that seemingly last forever. And it's because companies typically have more of a rigid purpose than when the purpose, like a profit, fails, the company dies. But cities have very adaptable purposes for their people and therefore post-pandemic can constantly reinvent themselves. Similar to how you're talking about, you have to constantly be adapting your structures not your principles, but yep. your structures to allow for different types of growth in different stages of the business, yep. which is a very heavy and thoughtful exercise yep. for a leader. And it comes with a lot more 
thought than people, I think, realize for a high-growth business. Luckily, with a finance business, you get a lot of those things out of the way. That's not easy as well. But I think with people-based businesses, as you grow very quickly, you have to constantly reevaluate the structures, and that really puts those roots in the ground, I think, to grow all the way. Yeah, 100% agree. That's where I spend most of my time, like hiring and figuring out who to hire and how to hire and building the organization and adjusting the organization for a stage of the company. And yeah, it's fascinating. I love it. That's frankly why aside from just the business model and where we are in the world of foundational NFT-based businesses with motion in such an intersecting model with sports and gaming and NFTs and so rare it could be, that was really what drove me to you and so rare because with our investment, we could really help you all the way independently and supportively of the entrepreneurial side of you to help you in different stages because I felt like for you, you have an ambition to go not to a sale process necessarily, yep. although who knows what happens in the future, but you really could obviously continue to reinvent yourself and so rare, and that doesn't cap or lock any kind of ceiling. Yep. If you continue to deepen that kind of thought process and adapt yourself, so rare could be a very, very valuable company, even more than today. And then the sky's the limit, so to speak, right? Totally, yeah. I think we are only getting started when you look at a couple of things, like we have no mobile app yet, we haven't started paid marketing, and we managed to, yeah, to grow from zero to 600,000 users with this 250 million of sales this year. We have so much to do in the product experience again and onboarding new sports in the future and also starting to execute on the broader vision, which is more than a fantasy game leveraging NFT collectibles with more platform leveraging the openness of the blockchain, right? Because you own these NFTs, you are not locked in a closed ecosystem. That was the old gaming industry. Like you buy an an asset, a game item, and then you cannot move it in a different game. You cannot sell it. You are really locked into something here in Soar. You can move your game item away. You can use it in different games. You can sell it in different marketplaces. And when you open up things like this, you release a lot of value that was locked. Value for the fans because they can do so much more than before and value for us as a business. Yeah, that's right. Well, you mentioned going from zero to about 600,000 users, which has started to really create a foundational base of the business, but still not mainstream by any stretch, right? Correct. That's the goal to continue to expand it as you're ready for it. Is that the key metric you look at? Yeah, that's the key metric we look at. We want to reach hundreds of millions of people with our different products, starting in soccer, but different games and different sports. Thank you for that versus football. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I try to adapt to my audience, right? <laughs> uh, but, uh, We're but, global. We can do football and soccer. Yeah. But yes, yes, this is really what we want to build. We have a network effect here. We have one with the, the, our partners, the leagues, the club, the players. Yeah. Both are play together. Yeah, but the goal is to go further than football into obviously other leagues, which, exactly. which is part of the strategy, uh, hopefully near term or next year, right? Exactly, yeah. We're going to launch US Sports next year. That's why we're opening also an office in New York at the moment and hiring there to support this growth next year. Yeah. And so then how does the model work beyond that? Because you have a licensing model. Is that the way it works? Yeah, it's a licensing model where we didn't really innovate here. We put a minimum guarantee on the table of our partners and then they get royalties once the MG is recouped. That's the model. So basically what they get is a new revenue stream. We are creating a new category, a new market. So it's not competing with the existing partners. And we also expose the brand to new audiences and grow their overall fan base, which is, of course, something that they want. So yeah, it's a cool proposition, I think, for them. And what is the benefit to the clubs and the leagues to do business and do the licensing deals with so rare and is there a barrier to entry 
Or can anyone break into the market? Yeah, I guess that what we get in exchange for opening a new revenue stream for them and growing their audience is an exclusivity in our category. So that's, as you said, a barrier, long-term deals, which is also protection, and then the right to use the IP. So the image of players and the club logo, jerseys and so on. And also some marketing support from them. That's basically the package, right? Yeah. And then you partnered up last year, or actually November this year, with a Bonhams, the auction house, to do a one-of-a-kind Cristiano Ronaldo NFT auction, which sold for just over, I think, $400,000. Yeah. Take me through that a little bit, and do you want to do more of those in the future? Because that was pretty innovative. I think that's the concrete example of yeah. the fact that you are free to move your NFTs in an open world. Actually, it's the user that went to them. It's not ah. us as a company, right? Yeah. Because you are not locked in this closed ecosystem where you bought your game item, you can move them away. And if you want to go to Christie's and auction up your item, you can move it, right? Because you truly own your NFT in a way that is new, right? You can break out of the Solar ecosystem. Exactly, you can move them away. The portability is one of the very cool features that gamers are starting to not only get, but enjoy and feel. And that's a concrete example, right? You can move your item away to Christie's to OpenSea, whatever marketplace you like, whatever game you like that is leveraging our platform, right? So that's really cool. That's really cool and vice versa. So to the extent that other platforms exist in the future, they could bring their assets onto the server platform and play with the server platform. Ex- well. Exactly. I mean, you could envision like uh, bringing your board ape to your yeah. profile picture and so on at some point if this is something that we, we develop. So yeah, that's... Uh, I can have my ape on my team playing with Ronaldo. Maybe not in your team. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't see the fantasy like... <laughs> I mean, help the team it. just yet, yeah. <laughs> but somewhere in your gallery or somewhere in your profile for sure. Yeah, amazing. And you did just hire actually more people on the team, which I noticed from ESPN and others. So you really bolstered your ranks. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. We had a couple of key leaders recently, like Ray and Spoon, who spent more than seven years leading digital and fantasy at ESPN, who's yep. obviously like, if not the key leader, like uh, one Great of hire. the key leaders in fantasy and digital. So uh, yeah, that's a key hire. Like we had Michael Melzer from DraftKings, who was one of our early employees leading business development there. So that's uh, yes. also Fantastic. very key for us, notably for the US. Kiana Davari from Lyft, leading people in the company and many more leaders that we bought recently. Yeah, it's a trajectory of growth between the users and the revenue and the profitability and now these new U.S. leagues hopefully coming aboard next year. How do you see the growth curve? Because obviously uh, you just raised capital. I think the valuation was close to $4 billion, right? Yeah. Do you feel like you need more capital or do you feel like it's going to keep moving in the same direction or does it steady out for a while and you need to digest? How's yeah. it look? At this stage, we have a lot of interest for sure yeah. uh, based on our partnerships and the defensibility we build here, the growth, the profitability, and so on. And also metric that we don't chat a lot, but retention is really, is yeah. really like Netflix. Not only we sell those NFT collectibles, but the engagement metrics sorry, are crazy, like people stick around yeah. because we put the usage value at the center of what we do. But maybe to answer your question more directly, the key goals are going forward more to improve the product and make it ready for mainstream audience. The user experience. Yeah, the user experience is still rough uh, at a lot of touch points in the product. So we want to make it way better. We we want to ship a mobile application. We want to announce the ski deals with new sports league. That's really why we post higher the best and accelerate the pace here. So those are really my three areas of focus at the moment. Product, growth, of course, leaks and hiring. Yeah, that's critical to make it a mainstream product with the design and obviously the user experience, I think, before you really push the marketing. Totally, totally. Good. Let's talk through the regulatory environment a little bit, because obviously everyone is trying to get comfortable with understanding NFTs and digesting them. And it takes, obviously, the regulatory environment time to get comfortable with it as well. Um, 
How do people assess whether that it is uh, gambling or gaming or betting? Is that the area that people are focusing on in Europe? Because that's new to the ecosystem, obviously, the whole crypto NFT world. Totally. Right? As you said, it's a new market. It's a new product on a new market. So there's no like box where we can fit in, right? Yeah. Because that's, uh, it's just new technology, right? So our position is to engage. We need to proactively engage with the regulators to explain what to do. Uh, and that's what we are committed to do. In terms of what is our product, so you buy an NFT card, so you have this big pillar, which is the marketplace, the collectible element of the product. And once you own it, you access a fantasy game where you cannot lose your card. It's free to enter. You cannot lose money, right? And you can progress in a cool game and meet friends and progress in a game. That's what we are doing. Now, how the regulation will look like for us in a couple of years, I don't know. But we want to engage and we want to help shape the best for the users. Yeah. So... That sounds like it could take a long time. The regulatory body isn't necessarily known for a conversation with a quick decision. So uh, are you going to get any clarity on that or is it going to impede any of kind course, of Of course, no, no. We have clarity on our legal setup, of yeah. course, at the moment. So again, we sell NFT collectibles, so we need to buy it with European consumption laws yeah. uh, in how we sell something, a product to a consumer. And then we have uh, this promotional lottery, which is the fantasy game, yeah. where we need to be transparent about the rules and how we operate that. That's the current setup. Is it going to be the same in five years? I don't know, but we have one, of course, at the moment, right? Yeah, because I think that one of the things that informed the FTC at the Federal Trade Commission's filing or fight against Facebook a long time ago, not that you're uh, at anywhere near this point, but was how fast things move yeah. for Facebook and the whole ecosystem. And then there was no conversation or collaboration as things moved behind. Obviously, it was much deeper than that, but that's when you read the complaint that's kind of was really embedded behind it saying that the vision of Zuckerberg was so far ahead of where government was mm. and there was no real partnership conversation. Not that there's a lot of partnership between private and public sectors anyway, but in this case, because everything is moving so fast with Web 2.0 to 3.0 and the internet to the metaverse and NFTs and crypto, it may be a collaborative exercise yeah. in some cases that's worthwhile to move everyone along together totally. so that when things do really get to be mainstream, it's understood along the way versus in retrospect. Exactly. That's exactly the approach we have. That's our commitment to at least explain and share what we are doing, what's our business, what's this new technology and what it is and what it is not, right? So that's our commitment. And the principles behind it, right? Totally. Yeah. You mentioned mobile applications, right? Yeah. So mobile applications are effectively old school in the yeah. sense of now talking about NFTs and the metaverse. So yeah, yeah. is so rare a metaverse product or do you envision so rare being engaged with by your users in a VR, AR world, or is it going to be mobile or traditional? It's a good question. And, and my I, first good question. It's a question that makes me think, uh, uh, at least. Uh, but uh, I think that maybe we are already in the metaverse. We spent a lot of time in digital environments, so I don't know if oh, it's going to look like in five years, it's going to be really different. I don't know. I think one clear boundary is for this metaverse conversation is, do we want a metaverse that is owned by a centralized company or do we want a metaverse that is owned by the people in the form of NFTs? Because there's a lot of chatter at the moment because of some initiatives that we don't know exactly how they're going to be executed. But that's a key question I ask. What do we want? For NFTs, I guess that what it would bring is, yeah, this ownership, this transparency, this traceability about who owns the, you know, this world uh, and a direct connection for sure. So I'm really excited about that. But then do I want a world where we 
spend most of my time in the metaverse. I don't think I want. You're classic. So, more classic about it. Yeah, I want a bridge. That's at the core of what we have been doing from the beginning with the fantasy element. You bridge what happens in the pitch with what happens in the digital world, right? Yeah. Now we are bridging the other way around. When you own an NFT, you can access a stadium, you can meet a player. Because you own an NFT, you can go to the physical world and do something cool. So yeah, I want a world where we are not stuck scrolling in front of screens, right? So yes, yeah. I like this bridge. And yeah, that's always I like our company to operate and that's the reason why we picked fantasy as well because you are not stuck in front of the screen playing fantasy you compose your team then it plays right and you right. can enjoy doing something else right yeah, exactly. and again it's you know moving away from an attention economy where you you want to grab time people's time and people data from a world where like that is different where people own their stuff online and don't need to spend all this you time. You can scale your time. And you can scale your that's time. A, that's a yeah. good pitch. You, so Rare helps you preserve and scale your time. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, You can have fun and play your fantasy sports while you do other things. Yeah, and own your game as well. Because like, game, yeah. from, from a world where you are spending money for something you don't own, like you, you know all the skins and stuff in video games, people spend billions, but at the end of the day, they own nothing, right? They yeah. cannot trade it, they don't own it, they cannot move it away, and you are moving from this paradigm to a world where you truly own your game item in the way that is really close to owning something digital. So you bring power back to the gamers, you give them the freedom to move their stuff and use their stuff as they want. Yeah, I think there's a few principles in this conversation about taking the individual ownership, but putting motion behind it in yeah. some application that is fun and intersects different elements of the entertainment industry, yeah. not just one. Yeah. There's a cross-pollination around that. And I think also having that as an asset that can be transferable from one ecosystem to another, right? Yeah. So that's a physical concept that we've been playing with since we were kids that exists in Web 2.0 and could also exist in the metaverse, right? But that asset is part of the so rare ecosystem that you've created. And also now I think having individuals really feel like they have that ownership at the granular level and then put that motion all the way through and then being interoperable between ecosystems. Yeah, that's really the power of uh, NFTs, I think. The ownership that you mentioned, yeah. the digital scarcity behind it, and the portability, the fact that you can move them away, use them in so many different worlds. There's many more features that we haven't really maybe discussed here, like traceability, for instance, is huge. When you think about traceability, because an NFT change of ownership is traceable. If you sell your ape to me, we can track it and the creator can and get royalties on this sale, this is truly new. Yeah. Uh, this is something you cannot do without a blockchain. And this is fascinating as well for creators because an artist can create something and get not only paid when he sells uh, on the primary market, but also get long revenue for each resale of the item. So this is something that is really, truly exciting. And this is also something that enhances the ownership of a collectible. Because if you own a collectible that has been owned by LeBron, for instance, this is something that you see in the collectible, you have this audit trail of all the ownership and it brings something new, something more. And so the traceability element of NFTs is really exciting. Which well. is why people naturally draw a bridge between the NFTs and currencies, because that traceability yeah. can effectively be looked at as a currency, right? If yeah. you can have that trading card be traceable all through its blockchain, yeah. that could be a form of payment. 
effectively, right? Yeah, it needs to be liquid enough and so on. But yeah, yeah, yeah it, could, it carries value for sure. It carries least. value, yeah. right? Yeah. That's what the apes are effectively doing now. You can trade one for the other. It has a liquid market because people are buying into the club, right? Yeah. Okay, so I have to give a lot of credit to our friend Emmanuel Swag from Cassius because yeah. he's the one that really introduced me to the company and to you because he started Cassius, his fund. And I told him we will happily invest in the fund and support him, but I can't look inside the company every single day in the fund. You have to tell me which one of these companies, and maybe there are a few, that are truly special and bring them to me when they're truly special uh, while I'm doing everything else and doing our day job. And So Rare was the first one he's ever said anything about to me that said, you have to look at this. This is incredible. So he recognized right off the bat how unique it was probably now two years ago. Yes, and Manu has been incredibly helpful for scaling the company and making such game-changing introductions. And so, yeah, I'm very grateful to him to, for making this happen. Likewise. So let's finish up with a few, I call it quick hits about okay. getting to know you, getting to know Nicholas. So your favorite childhood football club? Football club is Olympique de Marseille in the south of France. I come from a small city in the south of France and I love the passion at Marseille. Uh, and uh, so this is my club, yeah. Great. I'm assuming you're loyal and sticking with the club. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rhetorical question. Okay. The favorite Sorare card that you're holding now, that you own? So I'm not holding cards, but I have a special attachment to the early prints, like the 2018 season where we had only the Belgian League. Oh. So there's a very, very few of these cards with a specific design and only Belgian clubs. So yeah, there's an emotional attachment to them because it was the first partner, the first cards. Wow. And so you don't hold any of the cards because you don't want to have any yourself on the... Uh, yeah, I want, yeah, exactly. I want to be detached from the game. I, I follow and I play the free-to-play version, but that's it. Got yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. And how about in the US, as you move into the US, yeah. what's your favorite sport, your favorite team, your favorite player? Okay, so favorite sport is basketball. Club is Chicago Bulls because they were doing so great when I was younger, right? Sure. Uh, with Michael, Michael Jordan. Jordan and, and Redman and Pippen and so on. So yeah, yeah. Okay, good. And then uh, moving to crypto, do you own any crypto and which ones? Yeah, I do. I, it's so hard to keep pace. It's moving so fast. Even yeah. in the NFT world, like it, I have a very hard time to follow all the developments. So in crypto is even broader. But yes, I own some uh, Bitcoin, some ETH, some privacy coins as well, like uh, Monero and Zcash. So yeah, there's four. And, uh, so it's very limited and concentrated basket. Yeah. And I've mentioned that I have some of the board apes and uh, some others as well. Yeah. Are you part of any NFT community like that? I own a punk. Uh, oh. It has been close to three years now for, wow. for this relationship <laughs> and I hold it forever right <laughs> I don't want to lose my punk it's so. a relationship I like yeah, that yeah, yeah it's a relationship with my punk I own a punk a couple of crypto kitties most of the NFTs I own are back from 2018 yeah yeah well, I'll finish with a quote because we started with a quote that you've had before, and I hope people will listen to this and also start to expand your sayings and your quotes because I've often talked about you in New York and other parts of the world about Sorare. So you said that you want people to feel the benefits of Sorare and the whole model, that you truly own your digital good, that you can move it and so on without having the friction of crypto, and that most of the crypto products have today that are complicated. And so this is a, a technology that's going to underpin everything of value on the web, that this technology, that's so rare technology, the NFT technology. Yeah, definitely. And thank you for bringing that. I think that really one of our key goals is for people to feel the benefits without having to educate or teach or explain. You want them to feel the digital scarcity with the story that you tell, with the design that you have. You want them to feel the portability because they can move it to other cool experiences or to Christie's or whatever. But yeah, that's what you want to achieve with your product, right? Yeah, it's one of the things that are portable 
whether you're in any universe, is the relationship. Just like you said, yeah. the asset ownership is the relationship and the human connectivity, which we feel is our asset as well at LionTree, and that I'm grateful that we have this relationship and that will transport in any technology or metaverse or physical location, virtually or physically. So we're a friendship born out of the pandemic, and now we'll continue in the physical spaces as well. So thank you for hosting me here today, and we'll play some uh, soccer, as I call it now. <laughs> I think I get a little tour and then walk around and have some lunch. Yeah, thank you so much for your time and amazing conversation. Thank Absolutely. You. I'll see you in New York soon. See you soon. Thanks, man. I hope you enjoyed our show today. If you want to check out any prior episodes, find us and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Feel free to leave a review as well as it helps people find the show. You can also follow us on social media at KindredCast for behind the scenes photos and info. Listen to KindredCast on SiriusXM every Saturday and Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern on Business Radio Channel 132 or stream shows on demand in the SiriusXM app. Thank you.